Today we continue the series called Why, and um, we began the series talking about why the cross. Last week, of course, was Easter. We talked about why the resurrection. This week we're going to talk about why the church, and over the next few moments, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about what, what this thing is that, that you and I have decided to be a part of. When um, I graduated from high school, I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be in the business world, and so I attended Wake Forest University. My uh, sophomore year at Wake Forest, one of my buddies was playing baseball there. He was going there as a freshman. He said, hey, why don't you come try out for the team? I said, dude, there's no way I'm making a team. He's like, ah, come on out. It'll be fun. You'll make it. And I said, okay, what have I got to lose? I got no friends. I got no life. Might as well, you know, be disappointed again and go hang out and see what happens. Well, I tried out for the team, and I tried out as a catcher. All right? Now, same height back then, six foot three. I weighed a buck 75, so that's only about five less pounds than where I am right now. But, um, but I made the team tall, skinny, very much not prototypical for a baseball player as a catcher. But a lot of people will tell me, they'll say, hey, Chad, you must have been a really good ball player. I tell them, yeah, I was. I was excellent. That's why I'm a pastor today, because I was such a great ball player back in the day. But I tell them, you know, I was okay. I was lucky more than anything else. Uh, the year before, two guys had graduated. They were catchers, and they graduated from the team. So there really wasn't anybody else except a full-time guy we had, and then another guy who played utility. He played every other position, it seemed like. But he caught some, but that was it. And so they needed more help. So myself and another guy who we nicknamed the Hammer, we both made the team as catchers. Now, I wish I could tell you that was a glamorous life, but it wasn't. Every day after class, I would go to the field. I'd go get in uh, my gear. I'd go get dressed. I'd walk out of the locker room. And then I would go out into the dugout. And I was always hoping this day was going to be a little different. But every day, as soon as I walked into the dugout, the pitching coach would yell at me. These words are still etched in my head. Simpkins, get in the bullpen. And that was my job. Every single day, seven days a week. Three to four hours a day. This was before the NCAA put limits on how many hours you could practice during the week. And uh, so this was my life. I was a bullpen catcher, me and the hammer. We were bullpen catchers, which meant while everybody else was out hitting, everybody else was taking fielding practice, everybody else was just hanging out talking, we were in the bullpen taking body shots from guys who couldn't hit the mitt, right? They're practicing their curveball, their change up their fastball. I'm busting my thumb up trying to catch 95-mile-an-hour fastballs every day. I mean, this is what we did every single day. Some of you are probably like, it sounds like you're a little bitter about that. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I would have much rather been out hanging out, talking, doing the fun stuff everybody else was doing than, than be in, in the bullpen. But, but there's one thing that I would say about those two years that I played. I wouldn't change a thing. And the reason was because I understood I was something, a part of something so much bigger than just myself. It wasn't just about the nine guys who were going to play every day. It wasn't just about the head coach, the pitching coach. It wasn't just about the equipment manager, the athletic uh, trainer, the athletic director. It wasn't about even the bullpen catchers. It was about all of us working together as a team to make this team the best that we could make it. A lot of times we talk about teams, and we, we tend to relegate that to sports because that's how we connect with sports as a team setting. But the reality is we live every single day of our life in teams. If you've got more than yourself living in your home, you're part of a team. You go to work during the week, you're part of a team. If you're in the military, you're part of the team. If you play, if you do activities, if you're part of volunteer organizations, more than likely you're part of a team 
of people. If you go out and you ride Harleys during the week, you scare people because you wear leather jackets, but you're part of a team, a weird team, a strange team, but you're part of a team. See, all of us find that our lives are made up of teams. We don't think about it that way, but the reality is we are. And how we function together as a team means whether we're going to be successful or whether we will fail. And so the question is, how do we function as a team? And in fact, I think the first place we have to begin is that we sometimes forget the church is a team. We forget that you and I together are a team. And if we, if we work towards the mission, if we work in the way God created us to work, I honestly believe this is the most powerful team in existence. We have the power to change marriages and homes and families. We have the power to change communities, cities and states. We have the power to change the world. In fact, I believe so, so much in the church and the power that lies within us as a group of people. I believe if this team functioned at its highest level, we would be freer in our world of disease and poverty and hate and racism. The list could go on and on. But sadly, the church is one of the most overlooked teams around and one of the most underperforming teams there are too. A lot of times that is because we lack passion. We say we love Jesus, we say we're passionate about this, but we're really not. We lack desire. We lack this desire to do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. We say we have that desire, but we really don't. I mean, we lack hope in many cases. We lack these things that, that I think God has invited us into. And we underperform in this world and we never realize our true potential. And so this morning I want to focus on that. Because I believe we can be the most powerful force in the world. Here's the first thing you and I have to understand though. That Jesus called us to function as a team. We are called to function as a team. In the Bible there are two words that um, describe this thing we call church. First word we find mostly in the Old Testament, it's a little bit in the New Testament. We find it 625 times uh, in, the, uh, in the Bible itself, and it's this word temple. It's the word temple. Now, the word temple literally means house of assembly, okay? So it technically means uh, a building. It means a building. And so in the Jewish culture, this was the place that they would go. You went to the temple to do life. You went to the temple to meet up with people. You went to the temple to worship. You went to the temple to, to catch up on the latest news in, in the community and in the world. You went to the temple to find out the latest gossip of the people who lived across the street from you. I mean, you did everything at the temple. And so the temple was a place you went to. And you went to that place to worship God. You went to that place to build these relationships with people around you. In the New Testament, we find a brand new word. We only find it in the New Testament. We find it 114 times, and it's the word, the term church. But it's a specific word for church. It's this word ecclesia. And, and that word, that term ecclesia means they who are called out. They who are called out. It doesn't say me who is called out. It doesn't say you who are called out. It says, it says they. It says us, we, a team, a group. We are called out into the world. The first place we run across this word is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. It's interesting that Jesus uses that word church right here, this, this term, again, this is ecclesia. He's a good Jewish guy, right? He grew up in the Jewish culture. He grew up in the Jewish family. He's Jewish. They consider him to be a rabbi. His disciples, they're good Jews too. I mean, they grew up understanding all the Jewish rules and laws and regulations. But Jesus doesn't use a Jewish word. And Jesus doesn't say, and on this rock I will build my temple. He doesn't say, on this rock I am going to build this great building. Now come check it out and see what, what we've done. Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. I will build my, my team. This is a moment that Jesus changes the playing field for the religious establishment in that day and time. It's the moment he changes the playing field for you and for I, too. Jesus says the church is not about a place. It's about people. He says not about a few moments on a Sunday morning. It's, it's about a daily lifestyle with and for others. He says church isn't a place that you, you go to. It's, it's something that you are. It's who you and I are on a daily basis. Jesus, again, he changes that playing field and says, we do this as a team. I'm not inviting you to a place to go. I'm inviting you to the world to be, to be the church, to be this ecclesia. We sometimes get stuck there and think that the church is about where we go. Now it is. In some ways, we are here. And I know some of you, as we talk this morning, you're going to think, so are we not supposed to come to church? Because I kind of like that idea. It sounds good. I can stay and sleep in a little bit and have some more coffee. But no, this is, this is a place we come to celebrate. This is a place we come, and I'll talk about this in a second, to live out the mission of Jesus and to understand, to kind of get motivated, to get ready for the week. Because we got another 166.45 hours to spend in the world. This is the place where we, we connect, we celebrate, and then we're sent to go. Jesus doesn't say come to church, come to the temple, just hang out. He says go into the world. Because you've been called out into the world. So when Jesus calls these disciples out, he gives this team, he gives this church, he gives them a mission. It's a mission you may be familiar with. It comes out of Matthew chapter 28. A little background on this particular passage. In Matthew 28, Jesus has resurrected. We talked about that last week. Jesus resurrected and 40 days have passed. And now he's going to go to heaven. And so he's hanging out one last time with his disciples. He's saying, hey guys, you know, we've been together, we've been hanging out a little bit, I'm getting ready to go back into heaven, you're my, you're my boys, you're my pals, you're our friends. And so he wants to give them this one last mission that he has for them. And in Matthew 28, 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, some of you, if you're not real familiar with the story here, you're thinking, I thought there were twelve disciples. There were. Um, Judas betrayed Jesus. He felt this remorse. He killed himself. So 12 minus 1 equals 11. That's where we get 11 from. Matthew's an accountant. Matthew wants to make sure that you know exactly what the numbers are. If you're an accountant, you understand that. But there's only 11 guys left, okay? One's out of the picture. Verse 17. When they saw him, when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him. These are three of my favorite words in the Bible, but some doubted. A little side note here. Some doubted. Um... These 11 guys spent the better part of three, maybe even up to four years with, with Jesus. They heard his teachings. They watched him interact with people. They saw these miracles. They, um, they saw some amazing, amazing healings take place. Saw him die. He came back to life. He talked to him a couple of times. They've seen him. Now they're seeing him again. And Matthew still says, but some doubted. 
I'm not sure what they're doubting at this point in time, but they had doubts, right? And they saw all of this. Maybe you're here today, you're like, man, I don't know about this stuff. This Jesus, you know, these stories, miracles, the resurrection. Can I just tell you you're in good company? Here's 11 guys that spent three to four years with him. <laughs> they still had, some of them still had some doubts. So you're in good company. But I will add this little caveat to it. Out of those 11 guys, 10 of those guys were executed for their belief in Jesus and died some pretty horrific deaths. They may have been doubting at this point, but they were still willing to give their life to what they finally got to a place of believing. It's pretty powerful. You have doubts, it's a safe place for you to be. But at the same time, like these guys, research and see what God can do in your life to get you to the same place that these guys were in theirs. Some doubted. The story continues on. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In some theological circles, when the resurrection happens, that's actually the moment Jesus becomes king. That it's not some future event that's going to take place down the road. That, that when death is defeated at that moment, that Jesus then becomes king. Jesus is crowned king by God. God says, you're my guy. You've defeated death now. And now you're in charge of all of heaven and of earth. And so if, if Jesus has been given this authority, if he's now the king, then the king has his, kind of his court, these 11 guys. And he says, all right, guys. Now I've got the submission. I've got a purpose for you. And here's what I want you to do. Verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the moment that Jesus gives his disciples their purpose gives them their meaning for life. Uh, again, the reason they exist. He, he gives them their, their mission. And, and what's their mission? Their mission is kind of simple. Go. Go into the world. Go where you live and you play. You know, he doesn't say go to the temple. He says go into the world. And he says, while you're out in the world, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell people my story. Tell them my story. Tell them who I am. Tell them what you saw. Tell them what you experienced. Tell them what I taught you. And as they're asking you, well, I want to follow this guy too. Here's what I want you to do next. I want you to baptize them. I want you to immerse them. I want you to show them, hey, this is, this is what it looks like to take this next step to follow Jesus. And then after they're baptized, you continue to teach them, hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what your life is. And now this is your mission too. But I love what he says at the end. Jesus says, I will always be with you to the very end of the age. It's like you guys aren't going to do this alone. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give you wisdom. I am going to guide you. I will be there for you. Jesus doesn't tell these guys, hey, um, this evening at 5 p.m. over at the upper room where we've been meeting a few times, I got this really cool PowerPoint presentation. I want to to get us all together and I just want to show you what the church is supposed to look like. I've got this nice little diagram and I want to show you what the leadership should look like and how it should all be set up and I'm going to tell you what kind of music you should play and what your sermon should look like. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just says go. You got enough information? Go do something. Make it happen. How do they respond? 
Jesus, I don't know. My calendar's pretty packed here in April and May. I, in June 1st, I might be open. Is it okay if we wait a little bit? Can we wait till June 1st? He doesn't say, hey, um, you know, guys, um, Jesus, I, I've got this lake house property over in the Sea of Galilee, and man, you should just see it. We put a down payment on it, and we got to get it together with the architect. We got to get everything set up. So that's going to take me about a year or two. I got to make some more money because I got to pay for this thing. It's really a nice piece of land. And um, so I'm going to go work on that for a little bit. Then I'll be back. Is that okay with you, Jesus? None of them say that. What do we find they do? Jesus goes to heaven. And these guys take this mission, very little information really, and they start this church. You read all about it in the book of Acts. We read about these men, these 11 guys who took that mission and they lived it out in their life. They lived it out. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called into the same mission. You and I are called into the exact same mission that those 11 disciples were called into. We're called to go into the world. Remember, we're called out. We're not called to a building, to a place. We're called out into the world. We're called to be different. We're called to live out this, this mission and to go and tell people the story. Does that mean you stop people like, hey, let me tell you about the story of Jesus? No, that's a little weird these days. It's how you live your life. It's how you act. It's what you say. It's how you respond in tragedy. It's how you respond in pain and hurt. For our family, it's been the most amazing conversations about Jesus when people see how we handle diversity and hurt and that pain in our own lives. How do you handle those things? Well, that's how you tell the story of Jesus. We're called to baptize people, but, but Jesus says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. Whatever you face, whatever you go through, whoever you meet, if you go into this world, I will be with you. This is a mission that you and I are on together. If we say we're a follower of Christ, we're on this mission together as a team, as this ecclesia. We're called out. We come here to celebrate. We're called out into the world to make a difference and to serve those around us. Because part of this is that you and I have to understand that each member of the team has a role to play. Carl Barth is a noted theologian. He said the community, he's talking about the church here, is a society that serves Jesus Christ as its head. And as such, its central task is defined by ministry first to its Lord and then to one another in the community. In this, the community lives in correspondence to its Lord, who came not to be served, but to serve. And who, in that very service, rules. There is no person who is exempt from this service or who is committed to serve only in a limited role. This means... If you say you're all in, and we say that we're a follower of Christ, and we say we accept that mission, we're called to serve. That means we're called to serve on Sundays here in this place. It means we're called to serve when we go out of this place. It means we're called to serve our community, the places that we live, the places that we work, the people that we interact with. We're called to serve. And if you're a follower of Christ, sorry, you have no options. You're either in or you're out to this mission that Jesus gave us to follow. And every one of us has a role in that. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. 
whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that purpose or for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. In verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is what teamwork looks like. This is what it looks like when we function together. And you look at the body and you think about the body. If, if all the parts are where they're supposed to be and everything's functioning the way it should be, then our, our bodies, they function and they work at their highest level. Back in high school, I've only, I don't know how I've only broken one bone in my life, but I've broken one bone and it was my pinky finger. And I was playing baseball, and you think pinky finger doesn't do a whole lot, right? You can't pick a whole lot up with your, your pinky finger. You can't write. You can't do a whole lot with it. Man, you'd be surprised how important the pinky finger is to the body. It does a lot of things, strange things, but it does a lot of things. If you've ever broken a bone, if you've ever had surgery before, and your whole body's not working, your body just doesn't function anymore. You, you kind of, you're lost. And so it has to function and work together as a team. And the church is the exact same. Here's why we do this. This is why we are called to be this team together. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus went to heaven. Said, hey guys, here's this mission. Make it happen. Church started. Where does that leave Jesus? Now, I believe Jesus is still here, but Jesus isn't physically right here in front of us. That leaves us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That leaves us to be the representation of Jesus on this earth. That leaves us to be the embodiment of Christ here in this world that we live in. We're invited to be a part of that. We're invited to be a part of this team. And each one of us have a role in that here. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. You're an ear. You're an eye. You're an eyelash. You're a big toe. I mean, you know, big toe, you need big toes, right? They're important. Maybe half the church is a big toe, but that's okay. We love big toes here at the journey. But every body part is important to who we are as a team who is called out into this world to live out the mission of Jesus. I think Henry Ford put it well. He said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. And as this amazing team, we are called to be successful. Not in the way the world defines success, but in the way that God defines success. By living out this mission that Jesus gave us. Now, we have a choice to make. You and I have to choose to be on this team. The problem is sometimes we're more focused on something else than we should be. Um, back about nine years ago, we lived out in Gainesville, Virginia, about 30 miles west of here. Um, we moved here from New Jersey where... Um, we came here to start a, a campus for New Life Christian Church, which was up in Chantilly area, which actually is kind of interesting because the guy who started New Life Christian Church actually was on staff here, Brett Andrews. So he left here to go plant that church. And so our church is sort of a granddaughter church. And then we came here. So anyway, I can just draw you a diagram sometime if you want it. But um, 
So we, we planned that church, and um, a couple years in, I was hanging out with one of the guys from, from our church, and we'd go play racquetball about once a week. So we were driving back to my house because he was going to drop me off, and we could tell that a, a bad storm was, was heading our direction, heading our way. But we got back to my house, and his wife happened to be there hanging out with, with Kara. Um, my sister-in-law was there, who at the time was living with us. She was in college. Uh, Kara was there, who was eight months pregnant with our son, Jake. And then our two other children were there, Avery and Savannah. I don't think Avery could really walk that well. Savannah was, uh, was walking. But, um, but they're all at the house. And so we get back, and they're watching TV because the storm's coming in. They're listening to that, and, and we're having this conversation. And as the storm is getting ready to hit, well, out on our back porch, all of a sudden, the furniture started shaking. And then literally our home began to shake. And about that point in time, as we're all kind of looking at each other, trying to figure out what's happening here, you know, the beep's going off on the TV, this cloud, I mean, we, could, we had these big windows in the back of our house, we had this sliding glass door, I mean, we could see this big field. All of a sudden, this cloud just envelops our house. I'm pretty sure it was a microburst that hit, but to make all that stuff happen, this cloud hit. So we're all just kind of staring at each other, except, except for me, I bolted. I ran to the basement door, ripped it open, and ran down the steps as fast as I could. Meanwhile, back in the living room, it's my buddy and his wife, my sister-in-law who's living with us because she was staying with us for college, my one kid who could hardly walk, my other kid who was fine, and then my wife who's eight months pregnant. They're all still up in the living room as I'm down in the basement. As you can imagine, they do not let me live that down, Okay. In fact, I think about a week ago we had this conversation again. They remind me, hey, why did you go downstairs? Why did you run downstairs? And here's what I tell them. That was a great leadership, people. That was leadership. I ran downstairs. They followed me. They didn't have to open the basement door, right? They grabbed everybody. I was just leading them to safety. and We, we were fine, thankfully, but, of course, they still remind me of what I did that day. Uh, although I would call it leadership myself, uh, the truth was I was focused on me. I wasn't really thinking about everybody else. Again, everybody reminds me that I wasn't thinking about everybody else. But, but we're great at spending time focusing on ourselves, aren't we? We love to focus on, on me. In fact, we spend a lot of money on it. In 2014, we spent $10 billion in America on the self-help industry. In 2015, we spent $13.5 billion for cosmetic procedures. Even the language we use, we, we talk a lot about my money, my job, my education, my family, my stuff, my car, my life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not called to focus on me. You're not called to focus on yourself. We're called out into this world to make a difference in the lives of of others. We're called out to be a part of this, this team, this ecclesia, that God said, this, this is the way I want this to function. I want you to be more worried and more interested in the lives of others than yourself. And here's your mission. You're called out. Now, go. Go. Be my representative here on this earth. Be the embodiment of Jesus. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in your home, in your apartment complex, in your townhouse community, in your HOA, in the place that you work, in the military, where you play, where you eat, whatever you do outside of the walls of this place, you are called out. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called out into that place. 
And you know what? We're part of a team together. And when things are tough, and when it's hard to do that, and when your family's not listening, and when they don't respect you because of your faith, this is a place you come to get that encouragement, to get that support, so then you can go back into the world to impact the lives of others. We're not called to go to a temple. We're called to be the ecclesia, that we're called out into this world to make a difference. But we gotta answer a question. Is your life more important than anything else? Are you, are you more important than anything else? Because there's something way better and way bigger out there that we can all be a part of if we decide to accept that mission and to live it out as Jesus described it here in scripture and as Jesus lived it out and as his disciples lived it out too. For me, as I think about the journey specifically, failure would be if people in our community said, oh, Journey, you know, that's, that's one of the, the many churches there on Franconia Road in Springfield. They're just another church. Success would be, oh, the Journey, oh, wow. I mean, that's the church that supports and helps and feeds and gives to the community around it. You know what? I don't always agree with all their theology and some of their theology is all for me, but, but you know what? They believe in something. They do something. They make a difference in their community and their world. To me, that would be success. Why? Because as a church, we're living that out every single day. Sure, we ask you to come and to invite people to come on a Sunday morning, but it's not so we can build this temple, it's so we can send people out to make a difference in the world we live in, to make a difference where we live. Remember what Jesus says at the end of chapter 28 there in verse 20. He says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We come back to that question, why the church? You know, going and thinking back about playing baseball. I mean, if I didn't squat seven days a week, three to four hours a day, then I'm not doing my job to make our team better. And if you're not doing your role, whatever that may be, within the church, within the community, with where you live, you're not making this team, the Ecclesia, better. This team that you and I have been called to. There's a greater team. In fact, this is the greatest team out there. There's no better calling. And there's a great mission that you and I get to be a part of, and we don't do it alone. We do it together as one, as a body, as this ecclesia. And I will say this, uh, this team's not perfect, all right? And when I say that, I mean globally church and even here at The Journey. We're not perfect. The problem is there are people involved. And when people get involved, nothing that ever works that's never perfect, right? You know that. But, but when we're on mission together and we're focused and we follow Jesus, even those imperfections, God uses them in amazing ways. Where does this leave you and I? For some of you here, maybe you're just kind of checking out this whole Jesus thing, and it's brand new to you. This is a safe place for you to come. This is a safe place for you to be, to kind of figure that out. But we invite you to be a part of that mission. There's others of us in here. We've said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we're not living out the mission at all. You know, we come on a Sunday morning, we check off a box, and you know, statistics show we come back about two or three weeks later and we check off the box again and say, hey, I went, you know, but I still got 160, uh, 166.45 hours to spend doing whatever I want. I'll go to church for a little bit, you know, but that's it. I'm inviting you to jump in and to be a part of this mission, this mission at the journey and this mission globally to make a difference. Maybe for you it's jumping in to serve on a Sunday. Maybe it's jumping in to be a part of the things that we do in the community. Maybe Maybe you're like, I got to go to India. I can't afford to go. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. We'll help you make that happen. 
Because there's so many things that God has said, you're called out into. Go and make a difference. And we're inviting you to jump in. Maybe today you, you come up front here a little bit and you're like, hey, we're part of this team. We want to be part of this. We're not perfect either, but we want to jump in. And we want to live this out in this community, in this church, and in this world. And for others of you, you're living out the mission. Thank you. Thank you. They say in the church world about 80% of the work is done by 15% of the people now. It used to be 20%, now it's 15%. Uh, let's move it back up to 20%. Um, but, um, but jump in. If you're, I mean, if, if, as you're one of those people who, who are living out the mission, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for understanding that. And let's see what we can do together as a team. It's amazing. It's amazing what God has given us the opportunity to do and how he's impacted us and this mission that we've been given. And every week we come together here at the journey and we take this communion. And to me, this is the celebration. This is the moment where we say, I'm into this mission. I've got it. I understand it. I want to live this out in my life. And we do it together as a team, as a body, as the church. This morning, the band's going to lead us in a song. And as they, they do that, you're invited to come to the front or go to the back and grab a piece of the bread and the juice and take it back to your seats as we sing together. And at the end, Jerry will lead us into our communion time. But maybe today is the moment that you're saying, hey, today's the day I want to jump in. Today's the day I want to be a part of this. Today's the day I'm all in. If that's where you are, then why we're doing communion this morning, come up front. Jerry is up here. He would love to talk to you about that. But you're invited to a great team and a great mission to do some great work in this world. Would you stand with me as we sing and as we take communion today?